Okay, everybody, I'm back here, Matthew, with another episode of Junior Resource Investing. Uh, before we get going, again, as always, a disclaimer, right? I am not a financial advisor. My guests are not financial advisors. This is not financial advice. You have to make your own decisions about your own financial choices. Uh, this is for entertainment purposes only. There will be forward-looking statements uh, kind of peppered throughout, shall we say, and just be aware of that as well. Uh, I am excited, though. My guest today is Toby Pierce, CEO of Tag Oil. Tag Oil is an oil developer operating in Egypt looking to re-enter a brownfield basin. They trade under the ticker TAO.V on the venture and TAOIF on the OTCQX in the United States. Toby, it's nice to talk to you again here today. Thanks for, for coming on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Matthew. Looking forward to chatting to your guests. Yeah, perfect. So the way it works, Toby, uh, it's the same basic layout I always start with is just, you know, 30-second elevator pitch where I'll ask the CEOs to, you know, you have you have one minute to pitch tag or 30 seconds to pitch tag to a listener. Uh, so why don't you just run us through why is it compelling? Why should we be interested in your story? Uh, sure. So tag is um, exploring in Egypt. We're actually chasing uh, half a billion barrels of oil in place. Uh, we just recently financed. We have $35 million on the balance sheet. We have a, a, a great team uh, led by the chairman, Abby Babwe, who, who we'll no doubt talk about later, that has um, a great track record of delivering shareholder returns. Uh, he's sold four companies now, and uh, we're, we're now going to go in and, and actively explore and develop assets in the Western Desert of Egypt and have a lot of running room, great connections in-country, the cash to do it and uh, and the management team. Yep, perfect. So Tag Oil, it's not a new company, right? It's been around for a while through various iterations. Do you mind just kind of running us through, and you've been on since, was it 2016, 2015, but do you mind just running us through more recent history and then how you came to transition into Egypt as it is today? Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so I joined Tag in 2015. Um, we were a New Zealand-based uh, operator. We had production in, in New Zealand. Uh, we entered Australia as well. Uh, we sold those assets in 2019. Uh, we ended up giving shareholders uh, a substantial of the money back. Uh, we did move forward with um, TAG and a couple of royalties, uh, about $17 million Canadian in cash on the balance sheet, and we're looking for a number of opportunities. Uh, I know Abby from my, my days as an analyst. Uh, I used to cover Rally Energy, which was arguably his first big success um, in 2005 to 2007. Um, and, and we got to know each other quite well. We kept crossing paths, looking at different assets uh, around the world, and uh, it made sense to tie up. So the board um, the board uh, made the decision to, to um, bring Abby and, and his team on. He brought Sunil Gupta, uh, who was COO of Bankers Petroleum, it's now COO of TAG. Uh, there were two additional board members that joined, and um, there were several board members that step, stepped aside. Uh, we focused on the MENA region and Egypt in particular, where uh, Abby has a number of connections. And, and uh, fast forward to October, um, we ended up with, with assets in Egypt and, and managed to um, sign a, a significant block in the Western Desert. Mm -hmm. And you are correct. I do want to talk about Abby, right? For those of you who maybe don't know him or, you know, I mean, I, I'm from Saskatchewan, so the Calgary space, I, I, you know, I remember him from 
a few years ago now working out of Calgary, but what I talk about yourself a bit more. Do you mind? You mentioned, right, you're an analyst, but do you just want to talk about your own uh, work history and then maybe kind of what experiences and skill sets you bring to your position at TAG? Uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a mining geologist uh, by background, by training, ended up in, in mining out of, out of university. Um, mining got a little bit more difficult in, in 1996. Gives you an idea how old I am, I guess, but uh, switched over to oil and gas and, and uh, did well site geology, primarily for um, Burlington Resources and uh, Nexon, uh, or what was Nexon back in the day. Um, left that and ended up doing an MBA um, in Toronto and uh, found my way back to Calgary, where I joined uh, a group called TriStone Capital as an equity research analyst. Uh, I was fortunate enough they transferred me to London, England in 2006 uh, to cover international oil and gas uh, equities. And I uh, spent 10 years in London uh, covering uh, a variety of international equities, including two of Abbey's companies, uh, Rally Energy and Bankers Petroleum. Um, I left that in 2012, uh, the, the analyst business. Did a number of board advisory uh, roles. I was on the board of a number of mining companies. Uh, was introducing uh, capital, uh, some Hong Kong-based capital, into uh, the Permian Basin in Texas. Uh, we had a startup that in uh, that actually ended up failing, which I'm very thankful for. So it was 2014 and services company, and it just didn't get off the ground, and uh, oil prices collapsed about three months later. So uh, very happy about that. But a number of different consulting roles um, ended up... Um, uh, uh, joining TAG in, in 2015. I've been CEO since and uh, um, I'm very fortunate to have a, a good board and, and people around me that helped carry us forward. And so returning to Abby, and of course, this is not meant at all to, to diminish other members of your team or of your board who you know, have strong resumes themselves. But, you know, obviously, I think TAG caught the industry's eye a couple of years back when they brought on Abby, right? I mean, he is a very strong name and very strong reputation. Uh, could you maybe, for those, again, just maybe people that aren't familiar with him or just to kind of, to, to just address maybe what he brings to the team for, yeah, for the audience that maybe isn't familiar with him. We know that he has had lots of success, as you mentioned previously, turning microcaps and juniors into very successful M&As. But maybe, yeah, can you, do you mind running us through that a bit? Sure. No, um, uh, Abby's a, a great... Great uh, gentleman, and, and um, he started out as a geo. Uh, he was born in Egypt. And he spe speaks Arabic, Arabic fluently. Um, worked in, in Canada in the Canadian uh, Western Sedimentary Basin for a number of years, and, and then ended up heading up international ventures for a number of, of firms. Uh, he, he ended up as CEO of Rally Energy, and that's um, arguably one of the more uh, famous companies he's been associated with. But he joined in... in uh, 2005 and helped take that company from approximately a dollar uh, in, in share price uh, to, to $7.30 when it sold in uh, 2007. Uh, he grew the company from uh, just, under, just over 1,000 barrels a day to over 6,000 barrels a day when it sold. He then uh, moved on to a company called Bankers Petroleum, took over as CEO at, at Bankers Petroleum, that's where he met Sunil, and in fact, uh, a number of the technical team, which we'll talk about later, um, have come over from bankers. But um, he, he um, helped propel bankers forward, and even with the global financial crisis, um, 
the run-up in oil prices and a number of other uh, stomach blocks, they created a significant amount out of value for the bankers petroleum shareholders when they ultimately sold in, uh, I believe it was uh, 2016, uh, they, they monetized. And then um, he went on to a company called Kuwait Energy, which was private. Um, he was CEO of that. And they sold that um, company for uh, just over 800 million US uh, to a Chinese group called UEG. They had operations in Egypt and in Iraq. They sold in 2019. And of course, it was Kuwait Energy where uh, Abby had rejuvenated a number of his relationships in in uh, Middle East and specifically in Egypt and uh, allowed us sort of an entry uh, into Egypt and, and uh, not a cold start. We were we were in there uh, with conversations and, and new people on the ground that could assist in us uh, moving forward in, in Egypt. And it is exciting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of very relevant experience in country, right? So why don't you, yeah, just for the sake of finishing this off, run us through your geo team a bit, maybe, and especially in regards to re- relevant experience to your specific play right now. Oh, absolutely. So um, I can't say enough good things about uh, my entire team, of course, but uh, Sunil in particular, uh, COO, you know, with um, with Bankers Petroleum, they, they're responsible for drilling over 700 horizontal wells in Albania. <laughs> And so they, you know, just a rock star team. Um, we brought over the drilling manager we had, a guy by the name of Alan Albertson. Um, so he, he, he's just, uh, it's just great to have um, sort of the, the, the depth of drilling experience. In addition, we've got um, geologist uh, Brett, who, who was at, um, uh, at Bankers Petroleum as well, operations geologist. Um, and Jamie Cowell as well, uh, operations jobs. The, the two of them have done a great job at putting the play together. Uh, many of the maps that you've seen and are um, on our website, etc., were put together by those guys, and um, they've got a great plan to, to move us forward. We also have a, um, a relationship with a group called FrackMod, and um, I encourage everyone to go onto their website and, and see what they do, but they they're experts in uh, fracture stimulation, reservoir modeling, and they're based out of Calgary. We actually share office space with them. They work for a number of uh, uh, larger companies, including uh, uh, some of the majors and some of the independents in, in Western Canada. And um, they're specialists in uh, the, the fracture modeling space and designing fracks uh, on behalf of, of clients. And uh, we're, it's, it's great to have them alongside us. I, I, you know, I, when I create, like, I have a checklist, of course, when I look for my development exploration companies and having that strong team is a huge aspect of it, right? That, you know, I, I would follow the the right team many places is what I usually say, right? There aren't many places that I would not go if I don't, if they have the right guys fall, to lead or to follow. Uh, and so, no, I think that this is a huge advantage for you is the strength of your team, right? But why don't we transition more to kind of the, the fiscal aspect here a bit and kind of the share structure options, warrants, cash on hand sort of thing. Could you just run us through? I mean, this is going to be kind of you know, blow by blow of a slide deck here a bit, but I'll, I'll bring visuals up for my listeners and my viewers, but could you run us through just number of shares outstanding? And then maybe in terms of options and warrants, the amount of overhang you've got and what they're priced at. Sure. So um, we have 155 million shares, uh, basic outstanding now uh, post our raise. 
that we completed, uh, would have completed in early November. Uh, fully diluted is 168.2 million shares outstanding. Um, so an additional, if my math doesn't fail me, an additional uh, 17 and a half million shares, roughly. Um, roughly split options and warrants. Uh, when Abby and his team came in, they took um, took some warrants at 25 cents. Um, those are obviously all in the money. Um, and I believe that they have another year or, or thereabouts to run in their lives. Options uh, anywhere from 25 cents to a dollar uh, in strike um, and a variety of different issuances at different times for different people. So it's both split 50-50 warrants and options. And follow-up, I mean, you did just put take down a, a very healthy financing, which of course helps us absolutely create a dilution, right? It, it, equips you to actually execute with your development plan but you know kind of exciting you can always tell if uh the company's over a barrel you know how healthy or how how generous the warrants are attached to the financing and if i'm not mistaken there were no warrants on this financing correct uh that's correct yes so we managed to raise just uh straight straight equity uh common shares uh a fairly decent discount to the market but um you know, it was good to it was good to have the support of our shareholders and uh, to, to get that away without without a warrant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, again, you can tell the health and the interest in a company that oftentimes, if after a big after a big financing, then you'll see the share price lag and, and sag and some volatility and downward pressure. But I mean, you're just kind of plotting away one step at a time, right? It's been roughly a month since that financing got taken down, and and you're quite healthy movement and healthy volume and, and, and a kind of upward pressure the whole, all the way. So exciting as a, as an investor, as a retail guy, it's exciting to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased how it, how it played out. It, um, you know, we had great, great supporters, um, you know, existing shareholders were, were a large part of, um, of the financing itself. And, um, of course, management and, and insiders took a, a fairly, uh, hefty chunk of the financing as well. Brought in some great new shareholders, and you know we have. Um, I, I think it was a bit how how the market was. It was very busy at the time. Uh, there were a number of funds that, for whatever reason, didn't get shown uh, the, the financing itself, and were, were keen to participate. And you know, it's it's really helped to to clean up the the shareholder registry. Of course, and, and again, we'll we'll talk about it here here shortly. But the RPS report. Uh, we put that out uh, not too long ago, and that that, that nicely underpins um, uh, our valuation, um, uh, or at least what RPS believes is our valuation. <laughs> and exciting, yeah. We will get to that. Why don't you talk us through ownership structure a bit? Right, you've kind of mentioned it. You have some impressive institutional names uh, on your on your roster now. Could you break down first of all, simple question: insider versus institutional versus high net worth versus retail? And then maybe as a follow-up, discuss some of your institutional holders. Sure. So um, we have about 13% inside, uh, so insiders and management, excluding our largest shareholder, which owns approximately 19.9%. That's a group called Meridian Capital, based out of Hong Kong. They've been good supporters. And um, they have a representative that sits on our board, Gavin Wilson. Uh, He's been a big supporter. Uh, we're, We're very glad to have him alongside us. We're roughly split, I'd say, um, you know, 50-50 of, of uh, 
retail versus uh, high work, high network slash institutional. Um, the ge geographical split, roughly 50% uh, Canada, 30% uh, uh, US, 20% uh, international, uh, roughly that time. Do you feel that you're, this is a kind of off the cuff question here, you know, you, you kind of got caught because you're in between projects, little caught in the doldrums a little bit for the last couple of years while Egypt kind of sorted itself out. You've got the PPSA sign now, which is exciting, obviously a big de-risking event. But do you feel that your story is out there? I mean, do you think that you're getting, how, how much is that developing? How much is that improving based on what you're seeing from feedback and from interest? Um, I think we, we're probably halfway there at telling the story. I think there's quite a few people that may have heard TAG in the past or heard about TAG in the past. and. Mm -hmm. and aren't necessarily aware of what we're, what we're doing going forward. I mean, there is, uh, I do find people that have owned TAG uh, 10 years ago, for example, and, and are keen to, to understand what's going on. I, I um, you know, I get a lot of feedback from people that have been supporters of Abby and Sunil in the past and, and, and or other board members of mine. And um, so it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, you, you, we have new, new shareholders all the time uh, approaching us and, uh, pretty diverse network. Well, that's what I find. I, uh, you know, I am relatively new to your story. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of months old now at this point. Just as your financing was kind of midway through, and it just it, it the the valuation potential is what just immediately jumps out at me, right? That I, you know, I I try to be an objective observer in these interviews. But I mean, it's it's hard for me not to get excited because there, I think there is just so much potential here with you guys. Why don't you talk about here now? Just kind of stepping back, though. You know, again, you know, checklist I have putting together pieces of the puzzle. You know, you folks are are you're cashed up and you're ready to execute, right? Do you mind just running through how much cash you have, what your plans are with it, how long it'll last, that sort of thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we have approximately thirty-four million dollars. On the balance sheet post our raise, um, that includes the that's after the three million US dollar signature bonus we paid um, in probably early. That would be early October. Now. Um, the plans are to get active as quickly as possible. Um, it's Egypt, so there, there can be delays, and you know you're, you're never one hundred percent certain on these things. But uh, our best uh, best scenario that we have at the moment we're planning for approximately third week in December we'll be in in the field working on a we're working over a vertical well and uh, we'll do what's called a defit test on that and then um, we will fracture stimulate uh, that vertical well and then we will flow that uh, flow that back and, and get a, a production rate of that should take about uh, three weeks of uh, uh, field activity uh, with no issues, um, and then we'll try and flow back for uh, 30 days, a 30-day period to get a, a, a realistic rate uh, that we can release to the market. In conventional uh, reservoirs, you, you can get away with a smaller time frame, but it, when, when they're unconventional in nature and you're dealing with frac foods, et cetera, you, know, you need that longer time frame to get a, a stabilized, decent rate, something you're not over, over or under-reported. Uh, from there, we will, well, concurrently, we're working on uh, securing a, a rig to, to um, we've got 
four locations that we're trying to permit at the moment. Um, they should be ready to go uh, mid-February, end of February timeframe, um, subject to uh, any, any issues, but we don't foresee any. Um, that would uh, allow us to be drilling, uh, uh, so third week of February, uh, about 45 days is our best estimate at this point uh, for a horizontal, be a brand new horizontal is what it looks like. There are scenarios where we may take over uh, a well bore and drill a sidetrack, but that's that's unlikely at this juncture, but it may occur. Um, we will then need to fracture stimulate uh, that, that horizontal well that would take approximately 45 days. But that should take anywhere from 15 to 20 days uh, if things go well. And then again, the same fullback uh, process. So we expect results really may, uh, you know, all things being equal, everything going properly. And um, uh, that, that, that will be an incredibly exciting time. And, and um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. This is jumping ahead a moment. This is a question that you'd kind of alluded to, and, and I'll just confirm now because we're kind of on the topic. But the IP30 30-day flow, that's what you'll – just to confirm with the vertical and the horizontal, that's what will be you will release to market is 30 days? Correct. Correct. I mean, we're, we're – you know, you need to um, – Especially than conventional reservoirs, you need that that extended test rate so that we can stay. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'll, I'll put a pin in it. There's a couple more there that I'd like to follow up on, but I I I have a fairly specific list of questions here that are coming up. So sure, hold yeah. off, yeah, no hold off, yeah. Uh, but just one more here, kind of the you know kind of generic questions here, just to get people introduced to it. Jurisdiction, uh, right? So do you mind just explaining Egypt as an oil and gas jurisdiction? You know, advantages and disadvantages. Um, from my understanding, based on the conversations with yourself and, and your IR, Chris, right, you have lots of zero issues getting supplies and tools. But then I have, so I had a an investor who I speak with who has concerns based on his history with Egypt about getting paid or getting paid in a timely manner from Egyptian companies or from Egyptian from from Egypt, I suppose. So, do you mind just kind of running us through your understanding of Egypt pros and cons as a jurisdiction? Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, um, I, you know, I. Operating Egypt has, has been great. Um, you know, the, the, the ministry, um, the government officials, EGPC, very, you know, reasonably straightforward, very polite, very um, easy to deal with. Yes, they have uh, processes and, and bureaucracies to, you know, it's a big, big organization, but uh, you need to, need to have a little bit of patience, but you do with, with any organization. Um, we found them to be really good to deal with and, and very straightforward. You know, very by the book, uh, no, no strange, uh, funny business or anything like that. So, uh, as a jurisdiction itself, it's been great uh, so far. Um, their, you know, access to services, uh, all the major service companies are there. Oliver and Sunshade Baker Hughes, uh, plus a whole host of national companies, uh, drilling companies, etc. Uh, virtually anything you need, you can get in, in a timely manner. Uh, everyone's well-trained. Uh, you know, HSC is first and foremost, just like it is in all inter international jurisdictions. But it's, you know, it's nice to see it's uh, not something that we have to worry about. Uh, we always, it's always in the back of everyone's minds. But at the same time, it's nice that you're not going in and, and worrying about people not understanding that. Um, to, to the comment on, on getting paid, um, the great thing about Egypt is they always pay. 
it's just on what sort of what what time frame and um you know like any any um uh, you know government they're managing their finances accordingly and um you know there, there are scenarios where companies have, have have had to wait um up to six months to be paid uh, so you, you have to account for that and, and work within their system it's uh, we're guests in their country so we just have to understand how that works and make sure our working capital balances are sufficient that um, we don't ever get ourselves in a bind. And, and um, they're very good about um, releasing funds to continue uh, drilling, exploration, paying people, um, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't anticipate the, any, any, any big issues going forward. Um, you know, it is also very good having uh, – we have a great country manager – um, Kamal Resk, and he's been in the oil and gas space for at least 25 years. And he's been very valuable in, in helping us navigate uh, the various channels. Thank you for that. I will transition here now. More specific questions I have. You know, this is a this Perfect. is a company that I'm invested in, and so you know I, I have questions. This is part of why I like doing this is I get to ask you questions about what I want to know about, right? Yeah. No, yeah. no problem. Um, but more, let's you know, maybe this is transition still fairly basic. But why don't you know specifically to tag? Could you just run us through your thesis in terms of what tag is setting out to accomplish, or what it believes that the its opportunity that is kind of got its hands on? What what is that? Oh, that's a good question. It's um, so uh, I'm pretty simplistic in the way I think about things. You know, you're, you're basically we're taking an asset in the western desert of Egypt. Um, you know, it's got great surface access. We've got, um, uh, used to be shell facilities, but uh, EGBC um, run facilities now. They're top notch, right adjacent to the field. Um, we've got about a, well, RPS gives us 531 million barrels of oil in place. Um, we need to try and, and transfer some of that oil in place into uh, producing uh, resources. Um, and really, we need to just crack the code, if you will. Uh, take um, the technology all exists in Egypt. It um, it's been there um, for a number of years, and um, we just need to 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 go in there and, and unlock, if you will. Um, which is, you know, it seems seems easy and straightforward, but it's taken a lot of planning and a lot of our teams have been working on this for nearly two years now. Uh, design of facts. And, factor stimulation and, and reservoir modeling, um, uh, unlock the resource and um, provided we unlock the resource and have something of, of substance, then we'll, we'll look to monetize it. And I have these full four companies in a row now. So I, I suspect um, the fifth will, will also be sold. Decent, uh, decent hitting streak, eh? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. And so, I mean, I, I'm from oil I'm, I'm from back in, country in saskatchewan so i am in oil oil land um but to me this just seems it's kind of like the 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 fracking revolution that revitalized and rejuvenated fields across north america 20 or 25 years ago and you're just kind of exporting that same game plan overseas now is that a is that a fair kind of assessment of it uh, yeah, no, that that is. Uh, I would I'd probably take it one step further. Um, the best analogy we have is the Eagleford. Um, you know, they are very similar. Uh, the Avro shaft that we're targeting in the Western Desert is extremely similar to the, the Eagleford. The Eagleford really came into its own starting in 20, 
and about thereabouts. And um, a lot of the technology that's been developed to unlock the aquifer will apply uh, to the Avro shaft. So, you know, when uh, Shell relinquished these assets uh, back in 2012, you know, there there was there was no doubt there was fracking technologies, etc. But they just weren't as advanced. The, the the evolution and the technology in the last five years alone is incredible. Uh, so I would argue that um, you know, there's been a lot of smart people before us, but um, for various reasons, um, you know, the downturn in oil prices, uh, a variety of uh, COVID, um, there's all these different things that sort of um, this play was was overlooked, is known about. Um, but overlooked from an exploitation standpoint, and certainly the the, the you know our, our partners, Bata uh, Petroleum Co. Um, you know they they're fully aware of what was going on, but their mandate was to to just produce conventional oil, and uh, so we came in and and offered a, a solution and hoped to unlock the 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 horizons using uh, what is considered reasonably straightforward technology now, but. You know, five years ago or ten years ago, it wasn't. And so you mentioned, yeah, the Abu Ro- Ro- Abu Roche. Is that how I pronounce it correctly? <laughs> yeah, Abu Roche. Yeah, Abu Roche. Yeah, that's that's more than I'm capable of handling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you mind just running? So Abu Roche, and then the F Horizon, if I'm not incorrect. So A R F. Let's just call it A R F to to help sure. me this. Mr. Englishman here, uh, historical exploration and production. I mean, this is the thing is that, you know, this is not a wildcat process. You're not drilling blind into, into stratigraphy that isn't well understood. I mean, there's a long history of production exploration that takes, that takes a lot of risk off the table for what would you call like a pre-reserve company typically. Right. But do you mind just kind of, if you can, um, number of wells have been drilled into your horizon in your, in your basin or in your field, and then maybe just, for the matter of just for the record, how many barrels have been produced thus far from this area? Sure. So uh, we're just talk- I'm just talking about the Abrosha formation, um, but there's been over 30 wells that have pen- penetrated directly into the, the, the concession that we have. Um, there have been others around. Um, there's really good seismic control. There's logs. Uh, there's core data. Um, so we've got a really good handle on, and that's what gave RPS uh, quite a bit of confidence in, and in the report they gave us in developing um, their understanding. So uh, we feel that the, the well control and uh, the geological data is, is very, very high quality. Uh, a lot of it was, it was uh, uh, much of it was drilled by Shell, and, and they typically uh, collected a lot of data. So. We have access to all that. Um, the current operators have done a great job at Butter Petroleum Co. Um, and and they've, they've been uh, very gracious in sharing the information with us. And, and uh, we've developed a very uh, complete picture of the geology to the point where uh, RPS gave us an 80% uh, risking on, um, on the area we're, we're going to, the field development plan area, and of, of which um, 10% was actually signing the PSA, which we've done, and 10% on the, on the execution uh, of conducting a, uh, and a, conducting our exploitation activities. So 10% of that, so that 80% is actually already obsolete. It would now be 90% as you've signed that agreement, just to be clear, eh? 
Correct. That's yeah, pretty exciting. Ninety percent. Yeah. So yeah, why don't we touch on this? Right, you, you've mentioned it a couple times. So you have newly released resource report of uh, five hundred and fifty, roughly. Correct me if I'm too far off. Uh, OIP uh, and. What you're working from, though, with your field development plan is roughly one-third of the acreage, roughly one-third of that. So it's 179. Is that correct? Are my numbers in the... 178, but yeah, more or less. And so you're, and you're referencing, about, you're anticipating about a 15% recovery rate. Is that also correct? Um, yes. That, that those are all, all the numbers you're describing are RPSs, uh, numbers that they've, they've put forward. Um, and, and the reason for... Uh, you know, the 178 million barrels of oil in place versus the 531.5 million barrels that RPS has given us. Our field development plan that we submitted um, to EGPC and, and Better Petroleum um, basically entailed 20 horizontal wells. And um, between RPS and ourselves, we, we feel that 20 horizontal wells should be sufficient to exploit um, the 178 million barrels of oil in place. Ultimate recovery factors will remain to be seen. It, it will be a, a function of, of how these wells produce, if these wells produce um, in, in the future. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, for me again, I, I, I repeat myself here, but this, the, the, the economics and the valuation potential here in terms of growth in a, not a huge period of time is what really draws me to this. I mean, you have so 27 million recoverable barrels is what's been referenced for you over roughly a third of your acreage. Of course, this is all, like I say, this is all uh, forward-looking statements based on uh, the hypothetical successes that have not yet been executed. But, you know, we're already getting to fairly healthy valuations, which I'll get to in a moment here in terms of per barrel valuation. But at 27 million recoverable barrels, based on where you are already, cash in hand, you know, I start doing kind of the napkin math and, and there's this all, there's a huge potential for, for, for very healthy, like I say, re-rating opportunities on just a third of your acreage, right? And I suppose that, and then I don't think there's a question buried in here for you. I'm just kind of talking through the, the this project from my, from my perspective, right? That if this FDP, if this initial 20 well program is successful, I would anticipate, and maybe this is where you do can correct me or agree or disagree, but I mean, that that to me suggests that those other two thirds uh, are also highly prospective in terms of potential for commercial exploitation. Uh, most certainly we will expand our program uh, beyond the initial 20 wells if, if we have success on the uh, first area. And we may even choose to accelerate our field development plan and, and, and try and drill more, more wells over the life, life of the initial license and get it. And so you've you've got this broken down into roughly three phases, right? You're currently in phase one, which is sort of like a proof of concept, roughly. That's my terminology. And then two, phase two and three are the, the commercialization and exploitation of it. Do you mind just running through, uh, kind of going into detail on those three phases, timeline, and then plans potentially for those? Sure. So um, as everyone knows, it was approximately October 1st when we signed um, – signed and are moving forward so the clock started ticking um the first phase is is approximately three years and uh, we we basically need to drill one horizontal well and spend um spend up to to six million dollars uh, we anticipate that uh the, the first horizontal well alone will, will, will make that 
uh, at that point, we're, we're able to choose to move on uh, or it'll automatically move on. Um, uh, we're entitled to, to any production uh, from that first phase as well. So it's actually, a, you know, um, it's proof, as you say, it's proof concept phase, but we, we can monetize production. Uh, the, the additional seven-year phase, uh, we need to build two horizontal wells, and uh, 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 we expect to, to easily be able to do that in the time frame. Um, provided we meet all our capital commitments, uh, pay our, our bonuses, uh, there's a, uh, to move to the second phase, there's a, a $6 million, uh, sorry, $5 million U.S. signature bonus in the second phase. Um, uh, and we've met our capital commitments and are in good standing in all the other areas were automatically granted a 10-year extension uh, in that third phase, if you will. So, and the, I think you're starting to answer this a bit, and this is a question I have, you know, you, my understanding is that the $35 million that you've raised or right you have roughly on hand is to take you to the end of 2023. Um, based on current, yeah, recent MD&A just a couple of days ago, two more, two horizontal wells, in 2023, is that your plan? Ah, uh, yes, that is. Yeah. So uh, the vertical recompletion uh, that we discussed earlier, and then two horizontal wells in 2023. That's the current plan. And then, so how much roughly do you expect? To, how much do you are you anticipating? Of course, being hypothetical, as it's not yet been executed. But right now, what is your current budget for a horizontal well? Uh, again. Um, Still, so we're firming it up. Our, our drilling manager is in country right now. We are firming everything up, but um, we anticipate um, the first well will probably be uh, more expensive than, than average, but between six and six and eight million U.S. dollars is our best guesstimate at the moment. Okay, uh, we're fairly comfortable on the the eight. Uh, we obviously want to drive it towards the six, um, you know, and try and and reduce costs wherever possible. So that really impacts direct methods. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so I guess maybe the question I'm driving at here is ultimately, you know, the two horizontal wells, is that a conservative statement? Is that something that you're hoping that you can exceed or is that fairly set that that is what your plan is, you know, set in stone die cast? Uh, it, it is highly dependent on, um, so if we can drill the, the first two horizontal wells, get everything done by, say August, September timeframe at the latest. Um, we need to assess, um, we, we have enough supplies and, and we're planning for the, the two drilling, the two drills, if you will. Um, we need to look at locking up a long-term rig. Uh, if the initial test results are, are very favorable out of that first well, we may have already done that and roll right into a third, fourth, fifth well. Um, you know, the operating, the projected um, scenarios that uh, RPS have run suggest that um, you know, there would be a, a reasonable amount of cash flow and uh, a reasonable production scenario. And that should allow us to, to fund ourselves going forward. So do you mind, you know, this is one of those questions, again, I can't emphasize enough. It's it's, it's forward-looking statement. It's hypothetical. This is, you know, we're, I'm going to ask uh, Toby here about, wells that the economics of wells that have not been drilled yet. So it's going to be, you know, a little bit just kind of 
for the sake of discussion. But I mean, do you have, you know, internally a, a barrel per day target for what you would consider commercial viability that you'd be willing to share from, from the horizontals? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, we're not in a position at this stage to, to release that, or, you know, I don't think it's, it's, um, it's probably uh, prudent at this time, but um, our RPS, their, their, their P90 scenario, uh, on a production basis, uh, call for approximately 2,500 barrels a day uh, out of the gate. Uh, on the horizontal, that's assuming in between 15 and 20 stages, uh, uh, normal frack, probably kilometer in length, uh, or thereabouts. So, you know, the, yeah, some of the numbers are, are, are quite compelling. Probably the best um, best numbers to anchor off of. Uh, there were four well tests using the Avro shaft by Shell back in the, the late 80s. They produced anywhere from 200 barrels a day up to 3,000 barrels a day. Um, uh, uh, unstimulated, vertical, unfractured, um, just for straight uh, perf and flow back. Now, there, those were over varying periods of time and um, you know, they, they were on and off, et cetera. The, the production history is not, not 100%, but, um, you know, that, that gives you directionally uh, what a vertical uh, might be able to produce all, all, all kind of historically available data. Mm-hmm. And so this may be a question of curiosity here is how deep is the FRIs and how deep are you joined to get to it? Uh, it ranges on our acreage any, anywhere from about 3,100 meters to 3,700 meters. Okay. And you mentioned, just to clarify, uh, about a kilometer horizontally and 15 to 20 fracking stages per well? Correct. Yeah, that's the initial uh, plan. We're still, uh, we will work with the uh, completions operator um, and FRACMOD and our team to develop a, uh, a recipe, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the geologist, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. The, the recipe is quite complex, but... Uh, um, there'll be substantial fracks and, you know, pumping some of the, uh, the latest uh, sort of biodegradable gels and, and the likes. It's very, um, very, very interesting, but very early stage, too. Probably you're too early to talk about. Okay, so I, mean, I will ask, you can just say too early to talk about, but yeah, what, what, is there anything unique about the fluids that you'll be using that, that maybe is worth mentioning? Uh, not really, just, um, you know, they're... they're um, State of the art is, is probably too strong a term, but they're they're readily used in the Eagleford. Um, but they are some of the newest um, you know, sort of um, high viscosity um, hybrid fluids that uh, can be used. So we're we're quite excited to see what the results might be. Mm-hmm. Um, question that I forgot or I neglected to return to or neglected to ask when we were discussing the P fifty. 27 million recoverable barrels on the 179 OIP. Um, what's what's net to the company after royalty and taxes all in? Uh, the so uh, roughly 62 percent. So on the uh, on the breakdown, the split um, of the the 29 million barrels, there's approximately um, uh, 17 million barrels that's net to tag. And that, yeah, of that number. So, our net share of the, um, uh, and these are RPS numbers, of course, 
uh, risks at 80%, uh, with 339 million uh, US dollars at NPV 10. Mm-hmm. So, still kind of now we're transitioning to the financial discussion here, which is, of course, what, again, I, it's, to me seems is so compelling for your story. CapEx for your FDP, your development plan is about 104 million. OPEX is 160 million, which, so all in 264 million to get this up and running and, and producing it all in. Uh, pretty modest, right? A testament to the reduced risk in terms of jurisdiction. I mean, you have a brownfield exploration, you've got the infrastructure, you're not off wildcatting in the middle of, a, of the, you know, the Kalahari Desert or whatever. Um, do you mind just clarifying for just for for the for posterity, I suppose, right? So let's assume again, right? Assumptions here uh, that your twenty seven million RPS twenty seven million recoverable barrels. Let's assume that's accurate. What is your anticipated price per barrel then? What's your cost per barrel to produce that then? Uh, ooh, again, that's probably too early to tell. But if you mm-hmm. if you're anchoring off the RPS numbers and or um, operators in the in the general vicinity, um, uh, we are we are seeing other operators uh, produce oil for sub five dollars a barrel. Uh, mm. Costs. Um, our capital will be different. Uh, I think the RPS capital numbers are pretty good. Um, I I can't fault their their work at all. So we'll just uh, probably stop there. But um, the interesting thing. Uh, about how we how we think about things, uh, we'll obviously have some GNA per barrel, um, but the the deal we've arranged in the Western Desert with um, uh, the operator is a dollar per barrel in processing fees. So uh, we should be able to drive our costs uh, to below uh, ten dollars a barrel, all in GNA, opex, uh, processing, handling, etc. That's not too bad, yeah. So now, follow-up question, and again, right, uh, forward-looking statement, hypothetical here, right, we're working off of numbers that are not concrete in any fashion, but $80 oil, uh, and I, and I, my understanding is that there's a slight discount for your oil, right, heavy oil, but what's, what do you net, what does TAG net per barrel, all in, what, what's your net per barrel? Yeah, so um, to your point on, on oil pricing, so EGPC aggregates all of the oil in the Western Desert and, and sells it on behalf of the contractors. Uh, historically, at least over the last year or two, um, previous years, it's been Brent minus 3 to $4, up to Brent minus $7. Uh, at the moment, uh, it's Brent plus $0.30. Cents. So it, it does swing around, but... We, we use for for we use conservative brand minus five dollars for pricing, so on an eighty five dollar brand, uh, hypothetically, uh, and based off of our splits that are in in our um, uh, in, in the prospectus that we announced uh, and our you know, the RPS report online uh, under CDO, uh, we expect roughly sixty percent. Uh, so you'll, you'll have about forty eight dollars, you know. Our, our, our net backs probably, assuming uh, assuming we can keep our costs in check, our net backs would be in about the forty dollars barrel range. At least that's what our peers are getting in in, in the vicinity, and it's slightly better actually. Than that. That's, that would be a concerted estimate. Yep, perfect. I mean, uh, and having and having you know analogous peers in the neighborhoods, that's uh, it's, it's, that's decent data, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, 
And so for me, uh, this is going to be another one of those times where I'm not sure if I have a question burning this for you, but again, just kind of, you know, I, I get excited when I come across plays that I think have a lot of potential for, you know, value re-rating, but something that, what I like about TAG is that presuming success, presuming, you know, the commercial success, there there is clear paths to monetary success for shareholders, right? That so... There is a very recent direct uh, one-to-one, not one-to-one, but close, right, kind of uh, valuation comparison for TAG when in July Valco just took over or, or merged with Transglobe. Transglobe, predominantly heavy oil. I believe the largest amounts of its reserves were in Egypt. It was a bit more global, um, but pretty decent analog. So Transglobe, and so tell me if I'm wrong or, you know, stick, kick in here if I have an incorrect data, right? But Transglobe had about 34.3 million barrels in uh, 2P reserves, right? So you, you folks are at contingent resources, 2P at, uh, at 27, recoverable. They have 34 in 2P reserves, so just need to actually confirm, right, and get that done. And they were taken out at an enterprise value for those 34 million barrels at about 370 million Canadian dollars, roughly speaking here, napkin math, you know, Google, Canadian dollar to US dollar translator for me, right? So, I mean, that's $11 per barrel, per per 2P reserve, right? So again, I mean, again, I can't, you know, this is this is me talking, this is me just, you know, talking about why I'm excited about this, but 27 million recoverable barrels, $11 a barrel. Suddenly we're looking at $300 million, $300 million potential takeout price. And then you start playing with those games of, well, that's one third of the acreage. And so you can see where, again, like why I kind of get excited. I get a big smile on my face when I start, crunching numbers from tag right um and so yeah i just think that again i mean you can just you can say what you will and i don't have a question for you here but just you know the you have the opportunity for a very interesting couple of years in front of you i guess right absolutely and all i can say i mean i think i i haven't checked your math but that that sounds uh sounds reasonable transcope is a very good company and, and valco will continue that tradition moving forward um we we are more you know earlier stage than than Transcope would ever be uh, or ever was uh, so there there is more risk on our side. Uh, there is another um, data point out there that's um, interesting. Shell sold their onshore assets to a group called Picochuron and Capricorn Energy for approximately nine dollars US per per BOE on a two P basis. Now there is a significant amount of expiration acreage associated. It was a substantial uh, package, and it was uh, 2020, so different oil price environment. But that that's a data point that um, you know people can can use to sort of uh, understand where transactions have occurred in the past, alongside your transcope uh, Valco analogy. And 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 that's a point well made. I don't. I'm not aware of that one. I'll have to do a little bit of homework and and, and get into that one too. And and just again, just as as comparisons for valuations. I mean, yeah, like you say, it's a it's, it's a long road to hoe. That move from contingent resource to to proven and probable can be uh, bedeviling sometimes, right? But I mean, it, yeah, no, they, no, no doubts. Uh, we do, you know, uh, the the definition is to move con- from contingent into, into probables alone. Uh, we've got to demonstrate commercial flow to, to uh, of hydrocarbons to surface uh, in a commercial quantity. So obviously. Uh, that will be our principal uh, goal in uh, 2023. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting is that, yes, this is a, a multi-year play, but, I mean, if things go according to plan, like you say, 
as soon as May, you could be getting confirmation of, you know, early stages, but confirmation, at least there's something commercial down there in terms of flow rates, right? You just have to prove it over the acreage and prove the rest of it. But in terms of initial flow rate, you know, there's a critical first step that's just a few months away. My One of my final questions here, so just a couple left here for you, Toby, appreciate this. Just environmental issues. Do you mind just running through... Um, what are Egyptian standards for waste management in terms of your fracking fluid? And then, you know, maybe concurrent to that question is, is what are TAG's expectations or plans? Sure. Yeah, no. So, I mean, Egypt's no different really than uh, much of the rest of the world at the moment. Uh, they have high standards, you know, like, like any jurisdiction would. Um, you know, surface access and, and as far as, you know, villages around, it's it's the desert, it's the Western desert. It's it's the Sahara, basically. Um, so, obviously, we won't be impacting uh, uh, individuals and, and villages, etc. Um, we we uh, take environment and uh, operational safety, etc., very seriously. Um, the industry, uh, in general, has moved towards a uh, you know much much higher standard, cleaner uh, frac fluids, etc., and. Uh, We'll certainly be trying to to use every um, you know the, the best uh, best stuff for the environment we can, and and really any flak food will be disposed of in in the appropriate manner uh, to Western standards. And uh, Egypt's no different; it, it um, they they take these things very seriously. And uh, health, safety, and the environment is extremely high priority. Uh, His Excellency Tarek um, Abdullah has made it a high priority to to give back to communities to uh, make sure the environment is well taken care of and, and make sure the Egyptian people is, aren't, um, aren't being um, you know, penalized or, or, or see the benefits, at least, um, from the development of hydrocarbons in, in Egypt. Yeah, no, it is. It's a... I, I I I am glad for the changes. I suppose, right? More equitable and more responsible sort of exploitation. Absolutely. Maybe a follow up question on that regard: um, Are there aquifers in your region? Are they being exploited for human use? And then maybe you know, where are they in relation to your F horizon? Um, so, no, there really aren't many being exploited for human use. There are um, aquifers in in that are much, significantly higher up. Um, five, six hundred meters in, in depth. There are um, horizons that have, you know, water uh, in them, and there is water that's that's pumped from the Nile for for um, a variety of uses, uh, from fracking to uh, other things as well. Excellent. Um, and so maybe just we've kind of touched on them, kind of piecemeal here, but can you just run through? What are the catalysts, you know, kind of in one fell swoop here? Can you just tell us what are the catalysts that we can make the market can expect to see from TAG over the next 12 months? Sure. So, first and foremost, um, getting active in the field will announce, uh, we'll announce uh, a more detailed plan, let the market know when we're moving. Uh, so, that'll occur in the next six to eight weeks. Um, we should be able to. to Turf and frack uh, flow back uh, that initial first vertical well, which will be the next three months uh, data point. Um, we'll be commencing horizontal drilling in February, approximately three months out. Should have results out of that within six months. Uh, 
the second horizontal uh, within seven to nine months. Uh, we have a number of uh, conversations ongoing uh, with, with other entities about acquisitions. There's no, uh, I can't give any guidance at all on that other than we hope to be able to announce something in the next uh, nine months as well on that. Uh, go forward plans and a follow-up resource report. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get after that once we have some 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 more data to include in that. Um, yeah, th those are the main sort of catalysts we see at the moment. And if, if we do make any acquisitions, um, whatever uh, changes to our work program that occur at that point, uh, we'll also announce. So one final question here before I'll kind of turn the mic over to you for parting thoughts. But and again, I, I know right. this is the, the nature of these conversations is that it's dealing with futures that are as, as of yet unwritten. But uh, in your mind's eye, obviously, obviously, as you said, I mean, you're, you are angling for a buyout. I mean, this, you, you will be, you, if, if it is commercial, you will be producing and, 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 and taking advantage of those numbers. But uh, the, the goal here is a buyout. Um, can you just like, my question would be: How much work are you putting in? What's your ideal time frame for a buyout? Is it ten wells, twenty wells? Is it the end of phase two or three? What, where, where would you be angling for as an ideal exit point? Oh gosh, uh, that's a tough question. It basically, um, we take the viewpoint that um, we should always be ready in case we have somebody that's interested in purchasing us, and and um, you know, I have no clue on where. Well, prices are going to go longer term, um, but there are times in the cycle when companies are willing to pay more, and there's times when companies are willing to pay less. So our, our main job as management is to try and maximize shareholder value, while at the same time, you know, doing doing good by um, our stakeholders and, and shareholders. And um, um, so yeah, at the, at the right time, we'll step off, uh, the merry-go-round and, and I don't know when that is. And I, I can't hand on heart tell you, although, you know, it is unlikely you'll drill one well and, and sell the whole thing. Uh, right. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to want to have enough proof and enough data points, uh, good or bad, uh, of what you actually have and you can and move to, to monetize. Uh, if anybody comes in and, and comes knocking in that time frame, you'll, you'll have a good indication of what you have and, and can have some, um, you know, um, quality conversations around an exit. Um, you know, you never know. Prices may go through the roof. Prices may crater, and um, it will it will change the outcome. In a, a, this environment has changed as well. It used to be that you could always bank on, a, on an asset sale or a company sale may not be able to so you know in the future if we have excess capital and we we can't or don't want to um, exit for whatever reason uh we'd look at a return of capital strategy to shareholders we're all big shareholders in, in this so um you know we've invested in this to get our money out to make a capital gain and um uh, we, we would you know if, if there are dividends to be paid or a return of capital be to be made uh, we'd happily participate in that. Excellent. No, thank you very much. So is, this brings us to the end. I will leave uh, you with the opportunity to have final word or parting thoughts, Toby. Sure. No, I'm, uh, my gosh, 2023 is going to be, it, it's been, uh, it took longer for us to get here uh, than we expected, but 
I think the time, uh, the, the wait has been worth it. Uh, we've had, we've had a lot of time to get our ducks in a row. We've got a great technical team. Now's their time to shine over the next six to 12 months. And, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they, uh, what they put forward and, and the results. And, and we're hoping for a, a big win for Egypt and ourselves, of course. Um, time will tell. Thank you. Yeah, and that's so. That's it, Toby. I appreciate your time. I know that Thank my you. interviews are not not brief sometimes, right? So I appreciate your, right, your, your willingness to be involved in here and your your openness with the questions and the answers. Um, thanks for our listeners as well, my listeners. You can find more information at tagoil.com, T-A-G-Oil.com. And you can find me under the name Junior Resource Investing, Spotify, YouTube, and whatever kind of podcast hosting mechanism you prefer. Toby, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks, Matthew. Have a good night. Yeah, you too.